You know, as we talk about the good news, I think we all realize what we're talking about is the birth of Jesus Christ. The really good news of great joy is that God came into the world in the form of a little baby in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask the question as we venture into the message this morning, is what exactly is the good news? And why is it really good news? And then also for you, when we talk about great joy, are you experiencing the great joy that comes with the really good news? And if not, why? See, God came into the world, and it really was good news. And it's still good news for us today, and what I'd like to do is define what it is we're talking about when we say the good news. But before I do that, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that this Christmas that's so different from what we're used to, Lord, it's difficult. We confess, Lord, that we struggle, that there's many challenges that we face, there's fear, there's anger, there's confusion. And Father, I pray that we would repent of the sins that are within our hearts because, Lord, one of the things that we recognize is as a situation like a pandemic hits us, it exposes the little idols and the big idols that are within our hearts and it pushes us. And Father, we react in fear, we react in anger, and I pray that as we venture into Christmas, Lord, that we would set aside the sin that's within us. And Lord, that we would turn to our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, that we would worship this Christmas. That the good news truly would be good news to us. Lord, that we would experience the joy that comes with knowing you and loving you. And Father, I pray that we would also take the time to share this good news with those around us who don't know the hope of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would point us to the good news. And Lord, that you would allow that good news to sink deep within us as we glory in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as we define the good news, the good news really is the gospel. I mentioned it's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's synonymous, the good news, with the gospel. The Greek word for it is euangelion, and it's translated the good news, and synonymously it's also translated the gospel. And that's what the gospel is. It's the good news of Jesus. To give a definition, I'd like to be consistent because we have on our website, if you ever go on there and you look up our mission statement, and if you're new here, our mission statement is that we are advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. So it's right in our mission statement that we as a church are advancing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So what we do on our website underneath that mission statement is we define some of those key words and we define the gospel. So I'd like to use that definition that Riverstone Church has adopted, and I'm going to put it on the screen for you today. And if we could put that on there, I'll read to you um, what is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it, it will get up there any moment, I, I hope. Um, if not, I do have it here that I'll read it for us. But the gospel is what God has done in his unmerited grace through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to de deliver rebellious and sinful people from his wrath and bring them into eternal life through repentance and faith alone in Christ alone. You see, there's some really key elements there when we look at what the gospel is. It's, it's a work that God has done. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we can do. 
It's all about the person of Jesus Christ and God. And we talk about Christmas. It's a time where we give gifts. We see them up here on the platform. And it says, in his unmerited grace. It means that God gave it to us because we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. He's just given it to us in his unmerited grace. And it says that through his life, this is the gospel, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, basically what it's done is it's brought sinful man into a relationship with a holy and perfect God through the Son, Jesus Christ. So that's what the gospel is, but not only is the gospel the power to save us, to bring us salvation, but it's also what brings us the power on a daily basis to be transformed by the power of God into the image of Jesus Christ. I think a lot of times people think of the gospel as what saves us. And then it's like, okay, well, after we trust Christ and we come into a relationship with him, well, now we leave the gospel behind and we move on to the deeper things of God, the deeper things of God's word. And that's such a faulty way of thinking about it. You see, the gospel is the power of God that transforms us from the time we trust Jesus Christ as Savior all the way until we go to glory. So all of the discipleship growth in us is coming through the power of the gospel. I once heard it said that if we think of it like, you know, those wave pools that you have and you walk in and it's like about up to your toes when you venture in in the beginning and then you kind of wander in and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper until it's way over your head. Picture a, a wave pool about the size of the Pacific Ocean. You can go in and, and even the most Ill, you know, biblically illiterate person, the gospel is shallow enough for them to understand the truths of it. But you could live for 10,000 years and never, ever explore the depths of the gospel. See, that's what God has brought us at Christmas Day. The angels were announcing this really good news. However, I will say this, it's not all good news. Because for it to be good news, there first had to be bad news. And folks, there really is some really bad news. Now, our video clip on our friends there, the sheep, also had the angel appear. I'd like to have us turn our attention for a moment to the angels. Now, the angels were fully aware of the bad news when they came 2,000 years ago and announced the coming of the gospel. You see, the angels had watched with shock and horror as the events unfolded where mankind had sinned and rebelled against God. And as they watched, they saw mankind sinning and rebelling against the very God that they worshiped and served. See, they knew God and who he was. They saw God in all of his glory. And they watched as mankind sinned and rebelled against God. You see, they witnessed Adam and Eve's sin and rebellion in the garden. They were around for that. They were created by this time. They were saddened and they were grieved by it all. You see, every person since Adam and Eve has been born a sinner. And you see, these angels, they watched century after century as mankind sinned and rebelled against God. And they would have been shocked and they would have been grieved. You see, they also recognized that a holy and perfect God was going to judge sin. See, as they watched this happening and taking place, they saw God in all of his glory, and they knew that God was a just God. And they saw the sin and rebellion of mankind, and they knew that God was going to judge that sin. He had to. He's holy. He's perfect. And he judges sin. But you know, something else happened. 
they would have watched century after century where all of a sudden the Old Testament saints who died, those who were faithful to God, died and went to this place of peace with God. We, would, we refer to it as Abraham's bosom. It wasn't yet heaven. Jesus had not yet been glorified and ascended into heaven. But you see, they went to a place of peace where they escaped the judgment of God. I think the angels would have been looking at man's sin, the holiness of God, and wondering exactly how is this happening, that they're escaping the judgment of God. You see, now the angels came 2,000 years ago, and they, they announced the good news. What they were announcing was the gospel. But just imagine what those angels must have been thinking that Christmas day. See, their Lord, in all of his glory, had given up his place in heaven, his home in heaven, and he came down and was born a helpless baby into poverty. He was laid into an animal trough in a manger. The very God of heaven who they worshipped. He was placed in the care of two probably very naive, incredibly poor teenagers to raise him. You see, this Jesus, who probably looked so very ordinary as a baby, had created the womb that carried him, the arms that now held him, and these angels in all of their glory who worshipped him. That's who that baby was. He had created all of this. You see, the angels... They didn't really grasp quite just yet what was going on. See, it said that the angels longed to look into these things. You see, they would have been amazed at the events as they were unfolding. Now, I mentioned that there had to be bad news. Well, we see in Genesis chapter 3, it records the events of the fall of man, and it goes on and talks about the curse that, that God brought on to mankind. I'd like to take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And as I read that, it's on the screen here as well. And this is the curse after the fall of Adam and Eve. What we're reading is God's curse upon the serpent. In verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. See, the seed of the woman that was going to bruise the head of the serpent was Jesus Christ. See, right here, all the way back in Genesis, we're looking at Jesus being introduced as well. And even before this, we see Jesus in the Bible. But what we see in, Jesus, in this Genesis 3.15 is a glimmer of hope. We saw the fall of man. We see the curse of God. We see the incredibly bad news. But now in 3.15, we see a glimmer of hope. Because the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. You see, the Bible from start to finish, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through to Revelation 22-21, we see that Jesus Christ is present in the pages of Scripture. Go back to Genesis 1-1 and it says, in the beginning, God created. Now, you might say to me, well, Pastor Bob, it said God created. How do we know that that was Jesus or the second person of the Trinity that created? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because let's take a look at John chapter 1, verse 3. And what we see in John 1, 3, all things came into being through him. Again, remember, in the context of John chapter 1, remember, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. And we move on to verse 3, all things came into being through him and apart from him, 
not even one thing came into being that has come into being. That verse is talking about Jesus. Now we go on to Colossians 1 verse 16. Again, it's talking about Jesus, and it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, not only was Jesus present at creation, but what we find is that Jesus was the creator. This little baby, this little baby in, in Mary's arms was the creator of all things. No wonder why the angels were confused. They came to make this announcement. And here it was, God himself in all of his glory coming down into the earth and is now being held by this young woman in her arms as a tiny little baby. You see, when we talk about the scriptures, one of the things I mentioned was that the angels, if they, had, they, they kind of would, would have been confused, but think about it, they, they're not omniscient. See, the angels don't know all things. And all they would have known about the scriptures was what was written by that time, which would have been what we refer to as our Old Testament, from Genesis all the way through to the last book, Malachi. So they would have been familiar with the scriptures. They would have watched all of these events unfolding in the Old Testament times. But what they were doing right now is what they were seeing was something completely new to them. But I mentioned that from the very beginning of the Bible, the very John 1, 1, all the way through, Jesus is found in the pages of the Old Testament. Now, I'd like to take a little bit of a journey this morning and look and say, how do we find the person of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament to know not only what the angels, but the people of Israel, the people of God, would have understand when that announcement was made 2,000 years ago? Well, to do, get a little bit of help on that, um, I'm gonna, there was an article that I found. It was from Desiring God Ministries. It was called, Where is, Where is Jesus in the Old Testament? That sounds like a good title of an article for what we're doing this morning. So as I got it out, it presented in the form of three Ps. You see, pastors, we like things in threes. Usually three-point sermons, although today we have two, right? What is the good news and why is it great joy? But you see, also, we like alliteration, things that come with the same letter that begins, three Ps. But I looked at this and I thought, wow, these are really helpful. The, the three Ps that we're going to look at now are Jesus was patterned in the Old Testament, he was promised in the Old Testament, and he was present in the Old Testament. So let's look into these. First, beginning with Christ was patterned in the Old Testament. Now, you may be familiar with the concept of what they call types. See, a type is when somebody, particularly here of the Old Testament, was representative or something about this person's life and ministry foreshadowed the coming of Jesus Christ. Now we look back and we see that people were considered types. There was Joseph. Now, not the Joseph of the Christmas story. This is Joseph bringing back with, with Pharaoh in Egypt, the son of Jacob. If Joseph, Moses, David, and others were considered types of Jesus. Their person, their lives foreshadowed the coming of Jesus Christ. Not only did people as types or patterns foreshadow Christ, but there were things or events that patterned who Jesus was and what his ministry would be. For example, there was the ark. 
There was the Passover. There was the promised land. There was the priesthood. There was the sacrificial system. All of these things provided patterns that showed who Jesus, the coming Messiah, was going to be. Take a look at the moment at the sacrificial system. See, in the sacrificial system, what it was was an acceptable sacrifice, substitute was being offered as a sacrifice in place of the sinner and bearing the sin, the wrath of God for that sin. So it was an acceptable substitute. Who died on the cross? Jesus, right? He died there as our substitute, as an acceptable sacrifice to God, and he bore our sins upon the cross, much like the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. So we see that Christ was patterned throughout the Old Testament. Jesus was also promised. We read one of those promises a little while ago in Genesis 3.15. It said that one day the seed of the woman would, would, would bruise the head of the serpent. You see, the seed of the woman was Jesus. We see other times where Jesus was promised. We can go to the covenantal blessings of, of Abraham that were given in Genesis chapter 12. And what did he say? One day that the descendants of Abraham would bless all of the nations. Who is the descendant of Abraham that blessed all of the nations of the world? It was Jesus. You see, we can go on and on, and we can find ways that Jesus was promised. Not only was he promised there, but we see the promises of Jesus all throughout the books of the prophets, from the major prophets all the way through to Malachi and the minor prophets. We see that Jesus was prophesied to be a great ruler. We see that Jesus was prophesied to be the suffering servant. See, the Old Testament, we see promise, Jesus was promised throughout. Then the third P we had was that Jesus was present in the Old Testament. There's lots of places that we can find the person of Jesus. Turn to one, we'll say the, the I am in whom Abraham rejoiced. And remember, I am at the burning bush in front of Moses. And we might say, well, how do we know that that was the person of Jesus? Well, let's look in your Bibles, and actually I'll put it on the screen for us today at John chapter 8, verses 56 to 58. It says, your father Abraham, this is Jesus talking, was overjoyed that he would see my day, and he saw it and rejoiced. So the Jews said to him, see, they were confused, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. You see, you see, God of the Old Testament claims his name to be I am. The Jewish leaders of that day knew exactly who, what Jesus was talking about when Jesus said in the New Testament, I am. He was claiming to be fully God and that he was there before Abraham. See, this is all Jesus being present in the Old Testament. How about the Redeemer who delivered the people out of Egypt into the Promised Land? Let's take a look at Jude, Jude 5. Now I want to remind you, though you know everything once and for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. You see, Jesus was in the pages of the Old Testament. We can go on and we can talk about the rock in the wilderness during the wilderness wanderings in Exodus. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4. 
For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. You see, who was providing the spiritual nourishment for the people of Israel as they were coming out of Egypt into the promised land? It was Jesus. Who's providing spiritual nourishment for us today as believers in Jesus Christ? The very same Jesus. You see, as we look at the Old Testament, we see here that Jesus was patterned, he was promised, and he was present all through the pages of the Old Testament. So when the angels appeared 2,000 years ago and they made this announcement of good news of great joy, they would have understood all of these things. They would have seen Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament. They would have observed all these things. But you see now what they're realizing is that this very little baby that they were looking at he was the creator, he was the redeemer, he was the rock, and he was the Lord of lords that was predicted in the Old Testament. And now, they're watching him take the form of a human being. See, as much as they were aware, the angels, of who Jesus is and was, they're also fully aware of man, mankind's sinful condition. They fully knew the bad news of the gospel, and now, they were firsthand going to witness the good news. See, they were going to have front row seats to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned before, they would have wondered, how is this chasm between a perfect and holy God being covered with sinful man over here? And they were about to see the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus as the good news of the gospel becomes great joy for all of us. Let's, again, look at Luke 2.11 as I put that back up there. And I think to find out how is the gospel truly, truly, where we could say it is great joy. I think verse 11 is a hint. It says, For today in the city of, city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We're going to take a look at there's three terms there that were given to Jesus that Christmas day. It calls him Savior, calls him Christ, and it calls him Lord. Now, I want to just unpack that a little bit as we find out why this is really great joy. But you know, one of the things I, I love about this passage, who was it that the angels came and declared this good news to? To the shepherds. Think about it. The shepherds, see, they were the, they were the working class of ancient Israel. They were the ordinary people. See, the, the angels didn't come to declare Jesus before kings and queens and governors and the wealthy. He came and proclaimed the coming of the Messiah, the coming and the birth of this child to the shepherds, the everyday people of Israel, just like you and me. Isn't that great when we think about the coming of Jesus at Christmas? He came for all people. Now, let's take a look. And it says here, first off, I will say this. One of the things it says is this was already past tense. It says, there has been born for you. It's already taken place. See, Jesus has already been born. The waiting is over. The Messiah is already here. Now, as we look at these terms, let's take a look first at that word Savior. See, the word Savior describes a rescuer or a deliverer. That's what it meant, a rescuer or a deliverer. 
See, at times they used it in the Old Testament to talk about a judge who was bringing justice in a situation of injustice. He was a rescuer or a deliverer of the people over whom he presided. We look at the Old Testament and God himself was referred to as a savior or a rescuer or deliverer. You see, God in the Old Testament, he delivered people from disaster, from disease, from their enemies, and it also records that he, re- he delivered people from their sins. Well, think about the coming of this little baby Jesus. You see, in his life, Jesus was going to deliver mankind from diseases, we saw his healing, from disasters, we saw that taking place, and then in his death and resurrection, Jesus would deliver the people from their greatest enemy of Satan and ultimately from their sins. You see that we see Jesus Christ truly is Lord, deliverer, and rescuer. So we go on, I want the next term we look at, so we see that the Savior means he's the deliverer and rescuer. The next term he's referred to is he's called Christ. Now, the word Christos is what's translated here. The Greek word Christos is translated as Christ. It means the anointed one or the chosen one. Now, a lot of times I think people think we have Jesus Christ. It must be his last name. Well, it's not his last name. It's not like he was born to, you know, Joseph and Mary Christ and their mailbox in in Nazareth said Christ on the mailbox. You see, the word Christ is a title. Now, we do use it as a a name because we have Jesus Christ, and that's true. We we give him that name today, but it really is a title that means the the chosen one, the anointed one, and it was also synonymous with the word the Messiah. So, at time of Jesus' birth, see, they would have recognized, the angels would have recognized that this little baby was the long-awaited Messiah, the chosen one of God who was coming into the world. And that long wait for the Messiah was over. So we see that he was Savior, Rescuer, Deliverer. We see that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was chosen by God and long awaited. And then it says he was Lord. Now what do they mean by Lord? Well, generally speaking, a Lord is someone who has authority or control or power over others. A Lord is a ruler. And here we see Jesus being referred to as Lord so we look at the New Testament, well, we see that it eventually becomes a term that's used to declare the deity of Jesus Christ. There was two famous proclamations in the New Testament. Thomas and Peter both made famous declarations of declaring Jesus as their Lord. And then we go into the book of Revelation, and Jesus is referred to as the Lord, capital L, of Lords. You see, Jesus was Lord, he was ruler, and he was also divine. So these three terms that were announced at Christmas Day of Savior, Christ, and Lord really are, when we put them together, it brings great joy because as the gospel, the good news, I bring you good news, right, of a deliverer, a rescuer who's Lord of all. See, Jesus was going to be able to accomplish what nobody else could to rescue us as sinners in desperate need of rescuing and to cross over that chasm that exists between a holy God and us as sinful men and women. See, I think if we think about the gospel, 
want to give you just a summary statement for the gospel. I don't think any of you are going to memorize that definition of the gospel that I put up there earlier. I'll confess, if you ask me next Sunday, Bob, what is that definition of the gospel? I might get about 80% of it right. But here's something I think we can all remember. We are really great sinners, and Jesus is a great Savior. See, if I say that again, there's, see, there's some amens. I, I know my heart and how sinful I am, and I know most of you, and you are really great sinners. But you see, we have a really great Savior. See, I have people come to me sometimes, and they're like, well, Pastor Bob, you don't know what I've done. You know what? I don't, but God does. And the reality is, you might be a really great sinner, but you can never out-sin the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, no matter how good of a sinner you are, Jesus is by far a greater Savior. So that the blood of Jesus Christ can cover all of our sins. See, that's the Savior that was born on Christmas Day. See, the angels, they were declaring all of this. The long-awaited Messiah had come. And I want to ask a question. For who should have been more joyous that Christmas Day? The shepherds or the angels? Now, who should be more joyous today over this good news? You and me or the angels? See, to help answer that question, let me share a little bit of a story with you. Picture you're down at the, you're down at the ocean, you're at the beach, and you go out for a swim. And all of a sudden, as you're swimming, this riptide, it just an intense riptide comes along, and it starts pulling you out from shore. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you swim, you just keep getting pulled further out from the beach, out into the ocean. And you're out there, and you are really struggling, and you're trying so hard to swim back in. No matter how hard you can't get back in, you start getting incredibly tired. You start to, you start to yell out for help because you realize you're in despair. But the waves keep crashing, and every time you yell out for help, you take water in to the point where you're just getting so tired, you can't stay up anymore, the water's coming in, you just swallow water and you start going under, you start to black out. And all of a sudden this hand reaches down and grabs hold of you and pulls you up out of the water and onto the board. Just takes you back to the beach and the lifeguard starts performing CPR on your lifeless body. And next thing you know, you start to cough, you start to spit out water, and you start to breathe on your own. And the crowd that's watching all starts to cheer. Who should be more thankful for that lifeguard? The cheering crowd or you? You see, folks, you and I have been rescued and saved by that Christ child who was born 2,000 years ago. We've been rescued by this Christ child that the angels declared in all of their glory. You know, he didn't stay a baby. He grew into an adult, and he died a horrible death upon a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then the good news really is great joy. But I know for the people that we have here today, for the people that we have watching, not all of us have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you see... If that's you, you're still struggling against those waves. You're still trying to save yourself. And no matter how hard you try, you can't do it.
You see, Jesus Christ is the only one who can forgive sins. And see, what we need to do is stop striving, stop struggling, because the good news that God came to bring is that Jesus Christ, who was Lord, who was ruler, he was our rescuer, he was our deliverer, he came so that you could stop striving to rescue you from your sins. Just like that lifeguard pulled you up, pulled up out of the water. See, that's what Jesus wants to do today for each and every one of us. And you see, we're one day, all of us are going to die. We all, we're all going to die. And we're going to face this holy and perfect God who judges sin. He has to. It's what God does. None of us can escape from it. And see, we don't want to face a holy and perfect God without the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus Christ. Remember, we called it unmerited grace. God is giving it as a present. It's free. Just like on Christmas morning, all that you have to do is receive it. You see, God knows that we're great sinners. So he sent a greater Savior into the world. And all you have to do is stop striving and accept his unmerited grace, his salvation for the forgiveness of your sins. See, folks, as I think about Christmas and I think about all of us this year, I want nothing more than for every one of you to know the good news of Jesus Christ and for you, for it to be great joy because you have trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And this Christmas, if you haven't done that, accept that gift so that the good news will also be great joy for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as we think about Christmas coming up in just a few days that you have given us the greatest gift of all. You've given us your son, Jesus Christ, a gift that has cost more than any other gift that's ever been given, a gift that cost the life of your one and only son, God, we have a perfect Savior who lived a sinless life, who died upon a cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that our sins may be forgiven and that we one day can spend eternity in glory with you. Father, I pray that if anyone listening today has never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, maybe they're trusting in themselves, maybe they think they're beyond hope, that their sins are just too great, Father, I pray that they would see Jesus for who he really is. Father, I pray that their hearts would be open, that they would accept your grace, that they would accept your salvation through Christ, and Lord, that they would experience the forgiveness of their sins and knowing that they are a child of God. Father, we thank you for what Christmas represents, and may we worship you this Christmas season and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.